All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down, try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And again, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour for making this show economically viable. They are American Manganese, Barkerville Gold Mines, Crocodile Gold Corp., Intertopia Corporation, Go West Limited, Smash Minerals Corp., and Trevally Mining Corporation. Well, we're back here with Doug Casey and Rick Rule. And uh, when we went to break, we were talking a little bit about uh, various issues. One that I want to get into now, though, has to do with uh, the Greek situation. It's very much in the news right now. We, uh, on the screen here, I'm looking at it on my television screen in my studio here. I'm seeing, um, you know, the, the restlessness in Greece. The people are sort of rioting and, and getting ready to raise all hell if, they, uh, if the Greek government votes uh, in favor of austerity against the unions. Uh, it looks like it could get really ugly over there. Um, how widespread do you, do you think, either of you think this could be? I mean, we're talking about the contagion possibilities and uh, with Portugal not far behind, Ireland is, is in dire straits supposedly, and the Irish people have left to be known that their their unions are not interested in having more austerity. Um, how far is this going to go, and and what do you think the prognosis is for the European Union? Um, perhaps we start with you, Doug. Well, I felt that the European Union uh, is fated to break up. And the euro, their, their currency, is going to break up before they themselves do. I've look the the dollar is an IOU nothing, and the euro is a who owes you nothing. It's all going to fall apart because you have one currency with governments within that block that have vastly differing policies, uh, fiscal policies, and so forth, so that. Uh, uh, there's no way that the the Greeks are going to get these immense pensions that they've been promised. And there's no way that they can employ uh, hundreds of thousands of zombie workers that collect their paychecks for doing nothing. Uh, the whole thing is unsustainable. So the, the Europeans are just further down the slippery slope than the Americans are. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, it's going to end badly for them before it ends, because they're in a worse position mm-hmm. even than the United States is. So we, we're in this situation where, you know, everybody has fiat money. Nobody backs it with anything that's real. Uh, could a decline here in the European, in the European situation uh, perhaps give the dollar a, a boost for a little while? Well, for, for a while, but uh, look... To put aside assets that are safe and secure, you really want to own gold. And I hate to say that with gold at $1,500 an ounce, mm-hmm. because I like to buy things that are cheap. But uh, that said, even though gold is not cheap anymore, I think it's going to get a lot more expensive in the future. Mm-hmm. And I think there's going to be a panic into gold at some point when all these currencies start falling apart. Mm-hmm. Well, gold certainly has gotten expensive relative to the Dow. When you could buy, and uh, you know, it took 44 ounces to buy the Dow at the peak, and it's about nine now. Um, but at Rick, the last Dow, the last bottom of the stock market, uh, it was at a one-to-one ratio. Right. And 
it, it, it's not unreasonable that it could actually get to that ratio again. So it, the interesting question then for either either of you is, does that ratio take us to 10,000 and 10,000 or 1,000 and 1,000 or 100,000 and 100,000? That's why I own a lot of gold, because I don't know, but I think the ratio is likely to be uh, something like that. And when it is, I'm anxious to sell all of my gold and gold-related investments, like these, these uh, mining stocks that Rick specializes in, and trade them in for uh, Dow Jones-type stocks when I can hopefully get them for 8 or 10% in dividend yield, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. after the dividends have been cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, historically where we've seen market bottoms. When you and, it, and it's not just once, but I think over the last hundred years there have been a few times when the Dow has really bottomed that the, you've seen a, a one-to-one gold-to-Dow ratio. So, uh, Rick, uh, let's talk about some of the mining stocks. Uh, well, mining stocks, energy stocks. You're known as much as uh, for mining uh, for energy as you are for mining. What are your thoughts about the uh, about oil these days? I'm uh, real bullish on energy, perhaps not in the very near term. In the very near term, I think you're seeing a set of circumstances where sustained high oil prices uh, have begun to lead to demand destruction. Mm-hmm. But I think the important things that you need to look at in terms of energy really are threefold. In the first instance, as Doug mentioned, it's a denominator issue. It's issued in or denominated in U.S. dollars. And as the denominator comes to be worth relatively less, the nominal price of the commodity goes up. The second thing is that emerging and frontier market demand is growing fairly rapidly. Mm -hmm. Those people aspire to the same standard of living that you and I have, and they're producing more relative to uh, the cost of their labor, so they're increasingly able to, of course, compete with us. Mm -hmm. The third thing, and I think this is the thing that most people miss, is that most oil in the world is not produced by the major oil companies. It's not produced by Exxon or Shell or Total. Mm. It's produced by national oil companies. Mm. And those national oil companies increasingly are are under-investing in the sustaining capital of their domestic oil industries, Mm -hmm. uh, diverting the money to politically expedient domestic political expenditures. Mm -hmm. And I think the upshot of that is that within, say, five years, what we look at is a, is a range of um, major exporting countries, Mexico, Venezuela, Ecuador, Peru, Indonesia, perhaps even Iran, will cease to be oil exporters. Hmm. If I'm right, as much as 20% of the world's supply of export crude will come off the market. In a market where export demand is growing at 2% compounded, hmm. that sort of imbalance between supply and demand, as near as five years out, could have a really, truly dramatic impact on oil prices. That's the way I'm investing. Mm-hmm. And I know when you invest, Rick, you're usually buying things that are stupidly undervalued, I think. I think you're, you're pretty well known for that. And you're not always trying to capture the top dollar at the top. You're, you're very, uh, uh, very prudent like that. But let's, uh, how would you play it then? What, how would you play the energy sector? Where, well, I, I think for, people who uh, are yeah. under-invested in energy can start at the very top of the feeding chain. Uh, I think the major oil producers, uh, at least those that have some relatively secure supplies, names like uh, ExxonMobil as an example, are reasonably attractive. Mm-hmm. Because I work harder and because I'm willing to take more risk, I like to inhabit the sub-300 million market cap range where information distribution is inefficient mm-hmm. and markets are inefficient. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the microcap energy world, uh, with the caveat that what really matters in that part of the world isn't so much projects as people. It takes special skills to run these companies, mm-hmm. and you need to pay real, real, real attention. Mm-hmm. We're most active in the Canadian markets because the Canadian markets are the most liquid of global energy markets. Mm-hmm. And by liquid, I'm not referring to oil and gas. I'm really <laughs> referring to trading liquidity. Yeah. But we're seeing um, very attractive propositions in the sub-3, sub-500 million dollar Canadian uh, equity markets. We're seeing it um, as a consequence of the turbulence that's existed in markets for the last three or four months in the first instance. But we're also seeing it because those markets are increasingly uh, institutionally driven. 
and the institutional buyers don't want to come down into the sub-500 million market cap space because they can't have the trading volumes that some of their internal compliance uh, rules require. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing some real pricing inefficiencies in the Mm -hmm. Canadian markets, which are very, very, very attractive to us. I would say the second theme Mm -hmm. that we're seeing is the fact that the price declines that we've seen in North American natural gas partially as a consequence of the conversion of conversion of technologies that's made shale gas mm-hmm. somewhat more attractive, have been such that gas is a four-letter word from the point of mm-hmm. view of the investment community. Mm-hmm. We think it'll be two years, three years or so before there's a recovery in North American natural gas markets. But we believe that North American natural gas markets are unnaturally depressed, and we believe that the low price for gas will paradoxically cause the price to go up as a consequence of increasing demand and decreasing supply. Mm -hmm. And so we see real opportunities for people who have a two- or three-year time frame in micro-cap North American natural gas producers. Mm -hmm. Do you think, uh, Rick, do you think that that uh, natural gas is going to see increased demand as a result of of the problems in nuclear uh, space? I do. I do. Uh, I think that natural gas will increasingly be used to generate electricity, both in the consequence of its utility as a peaking fuel. Um, You need the ability, as an example, if you're using things like solar or wind that are inefficient sources of energy, you need to balance that out by being able to generate electricity when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing. Mm -hmm. I think that increasingly in places like Japan, at least for the next decade, they'll have a difficult time building enough nuclear capacity to build to Um, service their baseline needs. Mm -hmm. And I also think that you will see increasing political acceptance of natural gas at the expense of coal Mm -hmm. in the North American markets as a consequence of the uh, concern over carbon. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I I think uh, gas is one of the fuels of the future. And I think we're extremely fortunate in North America to have in addition to having ample supplies of natural gas, the best distribution and storage network for natural gas in the world. Hmm. So there's some real opportunities then. Uh, Rick, just may as well go into this now. How can people follow your ideas? Uh, is, there a, is there a website where people can follow your thoughts? We would be delighted if people want specific ideas from us, if they were to go to our website, which is www.gr il.net or else call us at 800-477-7853. We would be delighted to talk to people on an individual basis about what we talk about more broadly on your show. 800-477-7850-53. sorry. Yes, sir. Uh, 53. Uh, Doug, you also have a newsletter um, of many different newsletters that your organization puts out. Uh, you have analysts that are really sharp as well. You have an energy letter, don't you? And, and uh, maybe you'd like to give our, our listeners some sense of your, your views on the energy space. Well, I happen to agree with uh, Rick. And let me give Rick an unpaid commercial here. Uh, I've had uh, money with Rick for a long time, but I've been in his hedge funds for the last 13 years. And to the best of my knowledge, he's the best hedge fund manager in the world. Hmm. And Paulson better than any of these guys. The returns, uh, Rick doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. He's an mm-hmm. excellent stock picker. Uh, fant- huge returns, uh, the kind of things that hedge fund people dream about. So I, 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 I want to say that because there's a lot, of pe- a lot of brokers that will get on the air and just talk about things. But we, we publish, uh, we publish uh, of a number of paid and several free letters mm-hmm. also, and uh, we cover this space. And the only two commodities that I can think of that are actually cheap right now uh, are gas, which Rick was talking about, and uh, cattle, mm-hmm. which is the other thing that I'm uh, very involved in. Uh, so uh, the trouble with investing today is that because of these trillions of currency units that all these governments have printed up, almost nothing is cheap right now. Uh, It's very hard to find bargains, screaming bargains in the world right now. 
that won't stay that way forever. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I put my finger on gas, as Rick was talking about, and, and, and cattle. Now, if you're going to invest in gas, the practical way to do it is through uh, these small to mid-sized gas producers Rick is talking about. There's really no practical way to invest in cattle except buy a lot of ha- land and have a herd, mm-hmm. what I've done. But uh, I just wanted to say that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, speaking of cattle, I know uh, you are involved in a project, a very interesting project, Doug, in uh, Café Jate, Argentina. I visited it. I visited that project a few couple of months back, and um, there were a lot of cattle. I remember driving uh, from Salta down to Café Jate and seeing cattle cross uh, the road in front of me. Uh, is is I mean, is that one way to do it? You can go to a place like Argentina or or wherever and and just buy land and there's cattle on it. Or how does that work? Well, of course, with with any kind of a hands-on business, management is the key. So I've gotten lucky in that regard, I believe. Mm-hmm. But um, what really drew me to South America is is the continent that's kind of off most people's radar screens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't get involved in foreign wars. It doesn't get involved in most anything. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a place unto itself. And uh, so we, we've, what we've done down there is built a, what I think uh, is, will pass for a six-star development uh, where people can diversify themselves uh, politically. And, and to my way of thinking, the most important diversification that you can have in your finances is, is not between uh, different classes of assets, between stocks and bonds and gold and this type of thing. It's a political diversification. Mm. Your biggest danger today is a political danger. It's your own government, what it's going to do to you as far as taxes are concerned and regulations and what it's going to do to your currency. So you, you must have some assets outside of your home country. And for most of your listeners, that's America. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what I recommend people think of. And I know people don't think of that usually. But uh, the fact of the matter is is that the United States no longer is uh, the, the freest place to be. It's no longer mm. the, even the, the, it's not the best place to be from an investor's point of view. So, I suggest well, we've got to think internationally. We're, we're certainly seeing civil liberties and, and, and uh, freedoms erode. I, I was struck by a, a Memorial Day uh, arrest of uh, kids for silent dancing at the, uh, at the um, Jefferson or at the, um, I guess it was a Lincoln Memorial. I, I don't. I don't really. Uh, I, I couldn't get it. I don't. I don't understand what's going on. But certainly, there. It isn't the America that we grew up on. Grew oh, up they're in. arresting kids for opening up lemonade stands. I mean, this is yeah. completely out of control at this point. Yeah, yeah. But Rick, uh, down there in Southern California, of course, we don't have that kind of intrusion on our personal liberties, do we? Well, you know, the good thing about Southern California is that the place is zany enough. Thus far, they've chosen to persecute people who are even odder than I. Uh, it uh, might not be of much use to America, but it's a lot of use for me personally. Uh, Southern California is deservedly the butt of a lot of jokes in terms of its social trends, which is one of the reasons why I'm so fond of it. <laughs> well said. Um, well, we, we talked a little bit about China. The China story, of course, is is really obviously very big, China and India. Um, there are China bulls and there are China bears. There's a lot of people who <clears throat> who think, I know both of you would approach, <clears throat> excuse me, economics from more of an Austrian free market perspective, and there are a lot of Austrians or people that at least have that persuasion that suggests that China is going to have some really tough times ahead of it because of their statist policies, their Intervention, or let's say, lack of free market choices in in uh, in construction of real estate and, and various things. Any ideas? Any thoughts on both of those? Or do you think that uh, perhaps you b- would both believe that uh, China is going to continue to grow, or that the developing world is going to continue to gain? I gather you both believe that at the expense of the Western world for for some decades to come, perhaps. Doug, would you like to start with that? Well, I certainly believe that, uh, yes. And I, I think that this century coming up is going to be the Chinese century, and it's going to be the Indian century. It's mm-hmm. going to be the century of the East generally. But um, 
that's over the longer term. Over the shorter term, uh, there's a bubble in Chinese real estate. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's evident in prices. It's evident in the amount that they've built. And the problem is, when that bubble bursts in China, and I think it's in process of bursting now, uh, you're going to find uh, tens and uh, tens uh, and scores of millions of Chinese that are going to be wiped out, and this is going to devastate the banks in China. It's going to devastate the currency of China, and uh, they're going to have a, a political upheaval there. Mm-hmm. Now, nothing is certain, but a scenario like that are high. So uh, I don't want any part of investing in China at the moment, although after this occurs, assuming it occurs, I think it will, uh, China is definitely a place that I, I want to want to be in, mm-hmm. but not now. Rick, what, uh, to what extent is the China story uh, an energy story? Well, uh, for me, it's largely an energy story. I'm mm-hmm. impressed. If you look at the success of the Chinese diaspora, uh, you know, the Chinese people who have left China and the success that, that they've enjoyed as a consequence of their you know, predilection for education, their work, work ethic, um, uh, I think the boom that we're seeing in China is really a function of the Chinese government letting the Chinese people be a little more free which has allowed them to become much wealthier. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the leadership continues to allow people to be a little more free. Um, I, I think that they can afford a lot of sin at the top, provided that they deliver a little liberty at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I don't think a society that's in effect run by 10,000 people, you know, super, superimposing the will of 10,000 people on the actions of a billion three mm-hmm. is a very sustainable model, but it would seem as though the people on the top are relatively pragmatic, particularly when you compare them to the people on the top in our own system. And it would appear, at least, uh, that something in that system, perhaps it's the local, the lack of a, a social safety net, ironic in a communist country, has caused those people to want to save 30 or 40 percent mm. of gross income, mm. uh, which is a number that's markedly different from the American experience. Yeah, and how? Well, I certainly the policies here are not uh, conducive to to saving. That's for sure. When you uh, basically, ta- you know, make people pay for saving their money, essentially. Right. Um, well, we're all, all only have a couple of minutes left here. My engineer is telling me. So let's um, let's get to a couple of issues. Uh, Rick, you recently, I believe, you cut a deal with Sprott. Could you yes. talk about that to our yeah. to our listeners? Yeah, I've known the Sprout organization for 20 or 25 years, respected them highly. The um, growth challenges that were in front of me, that was how to grow my business and how to grow opportunities for my clients and employees, were issues that Sprout had dealt with 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was increasingly finding myself distracted by problems of management mm-hmm. and kept away from doing things which I like to do, like securities analysis. Mm-hmm. As a consequence of that, I sold my business to Sprout. I became the second largest shareholder and the fourth largest client of Sprott. Mm-hmm. And I'm now um, responsible for help, helping build out the Sprott brand in the United States. Uh, combining the two entities, we think we're the largest focused microcap uh, resource stock owner in the world. Uh, and that's really our function. Mm-hmm. Our function is certainly sub-billion, probably sub-500 million market cap uh, mining and energy equities on a global basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, and you're doing what you like to do now. I am very fortunate. I'm one of those guys who uh, I joke I'd do this for free if it didn't pay so well. And Doug, I think you're doing what you like to do too a lot. Uh, talk to us about what you're doing these days. Well, actually, get... we do pretty much the same type of thing that Rick does, uh, except we're in the newsletter end of the business, mm-hmm. selling research. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there are thousands of small resource stocks around the world. And what we try to do is we try to pick out the ones that have the best people, the best properties, have adequate financing, uh, are in the right jurisdictions, so forth and so on, so that uh, you you can buy these stocks and... It's a very volatile uh, area, as Rick has 
pointed out, they, mm-hmm. these stocks as a group regularly go up 1,000% in price and then lose 95% of their value and then do it again and again. So the opportunity is there to make an immense amount of money. Mm-hmm. Now, there is risk. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd suggest that people see what we have to offer. Go to our website, uh, kcresearch.com. Mm-hmm. We have three free newsletters that uh, they can sign up for and see if, see if the area interests them. There's excellent, there are excellent newsletters. I can attest to that. They are also, uh, there's an enormous amount of information, and not only in the resource sector, but you also do some things, Doug, in, uh, in technology and in biotechnology as well. That's true. We try to cover the raw waterfront because it's, it's always been uh, my modus operandi to look at any market anywhere in the world see where the opportunity is. Well, you have a lot of people to help you, too. You have quite a staff uh, located, I believe, in Vermont or New Hampshire, one of those places. And Vancouver as well, of course. And Vancouver as well. So it's, it's uh, you know, one of the questions I was going to get to both of you today, and we didn't get a chance, uh, maybe some other time, is how do you narrow the field? It's frustrating to me as a newsletter writer as well with uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of these little juniors, and everyone comes to you with the best, uh, the best company in the world, uh, and so you have to spend a lot of time ferreting it out and trying to figure it out. And I suppose you start with good management. You look at people with great track records. That's probably you probably get rid of maybe 90% of the of the possible um, companies you want to cover just by looking at the management. But anyway, I want to thank both of you for taking your valuable time to share your insights with our listeners. And again, uh, Rick, your website is uh, www.grill. GRIL.net, I think. Yes, sir. And uh, Doug just gave you his, CaseyResearch.com. Thank you, both of you, for coming on again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Well, don't go away, folks. We're going to be right back. Roger Wiegand is going to be uh, coming on the show with me to talk about what he sees in some of the uh, some of the charts that he follows on a regular basis. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Roger Wiegand. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000 ton per day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Trevally Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Trevally trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. 
Entertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Entertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CNSX Exchange. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me Roger Wiegand, who's a partner of mine. He writes Trader Tracks, and as we mentioned in the introductory uh, portion of this show, uh, that you can take advantage of a one-time-only trial subscription special offer uh, for Roger's newsletter, as well as Chen Lin's and my own, uh, by calling Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426. Uh, 718-457-1426 or by uh, going to our website at miningstocks.com. Welcome, Roger. Nice to be here. Roger, let me uh, ask you, you you talked uh, and sent out a missive today to your subscribers about the Greek situation, and uh, just pass that on, your thoughts to our listeners if you want to, if you would like. Jay, the, the problem has been that nobody could understand how this thing was going to be resolved. Uh, all these these major bankers and small countries were playing chicken with one another, and they pretty much ran the time out on the calendar. Uh, the Greek debt is 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 massive, and it's due now this month. And they had to finally come up with some kind of a solution. And I noticed today, first of all, that uh, uh, Miss Lagarde is now the IMF chief in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's French. And the, she's going to bend, I think, the way the French want to go, and she's going to push the Germans into helping out, and I think they're going to cover the problem. But we know that Greece is insolvent. We know these debts can't be paid. But our question was, what is this event going to do uh, to our trading and investing for all the people that read our newsletter and follow what we do? And I think that I'm under the impression now that uh, with, with the way things are tracking, uh, they're going to come up with some kind of a plan, uh, where, which will be a partial credit loan, and also a uh, extend some credit on some existing things that are due. In other words, they'll do a rollover on some bonds uh, and, and extend and pretend as they have done before. But what this does for us uh, is that it clears the decks, I think, for trading and investing for what we do all the way through into fall. Because I think that on the short side, Greece is going to be covered up with credit at least out 90 days, probably more like 120 days, maybe even 150 days into the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So that means if, if that's covered up, we can't see a major disaster looming this month, which can really wreck a lot of markets and create mm-hmm. mayhem everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much gone and it's off the table and most people in the markets, Jay, are seeing the same thing because there was a big reversal uh, last night in Asia and today. Uh, my screen is all green except for two things, a red U.S. dollar and red bonds. And the reason that's happened, of course, is when the euro goes up, uh, if, in fact, the European bankers protect Europe and the euro, the euro goes up and the dollar goes down. Now, the other thing that happens for us and our, to our advantage is that when the dollar gets weaker, all the commodities group as a whole uh, becomes more attractive as a purchase. Uh, recently, we all are acquainted with what happened in silver, the big pullback in silver, which I did call 
both up and down twice on four different prices. But that's neither here nor there. The point is now that we think that the uh, funds who have the biggest power and the most money, they had hundreds of millions of dollars in baskets of commodities. They took the money away. They exited the trade because they were worried about Greece and some other stuff. And now we see them slowly coming back in. All the grains are back up today. Uh, gold is back up solidly at 1500 today. Silver went up uh, $0.34, cents, and after hours during the trading day, it was even higher. The trading range uh, in silver today was $0.63, cents, mostly on the buy side. And the Swiss franc broke new records today. It's at 120.21. Um, a Swiss bank official did say they wanted to politically somehow work something out to connect the Swiss franc to the euro, and that was immediately slapped down. Uh, by the Swiss Parliament and the bankers, because uh, why would you want to get on a you know a dying horse? Mm-hmm. Uh, Switzerland didn't get in the euro in the first place, and they want to stay out of it. Yeah. Uh, the reason for that statement was because the euro is get I mean, the euro is causing the um, Swiss franc to be very expensive. Right. And 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 consequently, many people who would who would normally trade and and use euros have been putting their cash into the Swiss franc in Switzerland to preserve their capital for on a fear and security trade. Right. So that that's what's going on there. So what we're seeing now is a big turnaround in commodities. Uh, we see many of the related stocks finally starting to move. I put one of my big silver companies back in my newsletter as Miner of the Week. Uh, I can see good basing on a 200-day average. and I haven't had time to check the rest of the stocks in the letter yet, but I'm sure there's going to be more of them that are moving forward in that vein. Mm-hmm. So you've turned pretty bullish uh, for in the short term, at least up through what through the problematic well, we, fall. Sometimes the, the we have some difficulties first, in um, October. The first important thing is we stop selling. You know that that was my major worry, and things are 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 basing, and now we're going sideways with a bias up on some on some of the commodities and shares. I think there's going to be a uh, middle of the month, little bit of a mini rally pop in silver and gold in July. Then it'll go flat again. Uh, this is technical stuff. And then I think that the second or third week of August, we're going to be positioned for a many months long rally in both silver and gold that should run from August all the way through into May of next year. Uh-huh. Oh, well, that's, uh, it sounds good. But so far, I can say that most of the, uh, most of the stocks, I mean, not my portfolio has not done all that well this year. I think it's fairly common. I, I spoke to a very influential person in, uh, in um, Switzerland, when I was there uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she uh, she told me that she was down this year. I mean, I think most people are having a difficult year this year, uh, but maybe uh, maybe we'll still end up with a with a gain this year uh, if you're right on this. What about specifically then? How does how is gold looking right now? Well, gold looks pretty good. It's it's got a good firm base at fourteen ninety two and a half. Um, the ninety two and a half is a common stop-and-go place for price on gold in every $100 sequence. And it's done it again. We had a, on the August futures, which are most active now for gold, we did the ABC correction. We based, we've got a tiny wave one started, and it opened today at uh, 1496, and it's 1501 and 90 cents after hours. So we're up about, not much, but about $5 roughly. Mm-hmm. But at least the, the selling has stopped. The basing appears to look okay. And a lot of the moving averages are in a position where they can support a lot of these markets, which makes me very pleased. Roger, when we get these kinds of uh, expansions that you're projecting here, we usually see silver outperforming gold. Do you see that happening through the end of the year or up, up to the fall? Well, I, I think that it will, Jay, because it does move faster. It's a smaller market, and it's more volatile, as you know. Uh, looking on the uh, on the numbers today, uh, gold is up four tenths of one percent. Silver is up one full percent. But I think to answer your question, because of the smash that we had in silver going from 50 back to 33, uh, the healing time is going to be a little bit longer. And I initially said that I, I thought that we would see uh, 59.85 silver by the end of the year, but this healing uh, time may take longer and go into the next quarter of first quarter of 2012. And if that's true, I think our high this year 
uh, in silver might be more like 49, 48 and a half, 51. So silver will come back. I think it's going to play catch up with gold. The good news for gold is it really didn't sell off that much mm. uh, when silver did. I mean, it went down maybe 100, 150 bucks, but in in the overall picture, uh, that's not very much. That's just yeah. a drop in the bucket. So we're looking for a bias toward the gold side as far as both the shares and the trading for this year and most of our positions that we have in trader tracks on on the futures reflect that we're heavy in gold and grain yeah well i might just add uh, roger we do have to go to to a commercial break now but i might just add that the uh, i think gold behaved very naturally very normally uh... when it did not come down nearly as hard as silver did because there was a a bit of a contraction a little bit of a uh, aversion to risk again that, that was taking place and now with the uh apparent temporary solution to the Greek problem, it seems as though the risk aversion uh, is fading away again to an extent, and off goes silver. I would expect silver to outperform gold, and I guess you're, uh, we're in agreement on that. Roger, I want to thank you very much for your time, and um, we'll get you back next week if possible. So, Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back uh, after the break with Ted Ohashi, who will have an investment idea to share with you uh, on the other side of the break. So don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CNN. SX Exchange. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ten gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. .sandgold.ca Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite with operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm happy to have with me Ted Ohashi of uh, Investment Pitch. Uh, he is um, on the board, of the advisory board, as am I, of Investment Pitch. And uh, Ted has 
an idea he wants to share with me, with you, with all of us. It's called Goldex Resource Corp. It trades uh, on the Venture Exchange in Canada. Uh, eight and a half cents right now, giving it a market cap of $8.2 million. Welcome, Ted. Hi, Jaden. Nice to be here. Yeah, t- talk to us about this uh, about this idea that you have, okay. uh, eight and a half pennies, Canadian. Yeah. I guess that's probably about <laughs> nine cents U.S. Right. Well, I mean, uh, this is obviously a relatively small company. Uh, its uh, market uh, cap is uh, just a little over $8 million. Um, but uh, it's a company that, uh, that had one of its private placements uh, become free for trading. And so... The stock has been sort of sold down from the 25 cent range to under a dime. Um, and so I really see it as an opportunity here. And, and they've got a couple of really major plays uh, that, uh, that will for sure generate uh, lots of positive news uh, and, uh, and may even generate um, a resource or a discovery uh, a year or two out. Mm-hmm. I see they're in uh, Guatemala. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of their uh, main properties is called the El Pato, uh, and uh, and it's an epithermal gold prospect. Uh, Guatemala as a country is uh, is generally underdeveloped, um, and uh, it's been characterized by a couple of large discoveries. Uh, Radius Gold uh, is just putting their El Tambor property uh, into production, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so um, that's the kind of thing that that you can expect here. And, uh, again, one of the things that I like is uh, there is a uh, there is historical evidence of a resource here. Uh, the property was initially drilled by the Guatemalan government, and then after that, uh, by a United Nations uh, development fund. Um, and this was all pre forty three one oh one. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but the UN identified an inferred resource of, of over four hundred thousand ounces of gold. Uh, so, again, I'll just um, reiterate, you know, this is not a, a resource under uh, today's um, uh, regulations, but uh, it, it is a strong indication of, uh, of the potential. Um, the preliminary drilling that, uh, that the company has done uh, tends to confirm uh, the results that the U.N. was getting, uh, and they've done road construction and trenching uh, and, uh, and uncovered... Uh, uh, veins and stockworks at at surface, um, and uh, and the road is averaging over 11 grams a ton. So, um, you know this this area seems to be quite rich. Um, a couple of kilometers away, they've identified another uh, mineralized zone called the El Sase, uh, which is a long strike from uh, the El Pato. Mm. This is the one that was drilled by the UN. Uh, so what they're doing now is. Uh, uh, they have a 5,000-meter drilling program underway, um, and they're following the trend from the El Pato toward the El Sosa. And, and if they uh, are able to connect the two, uh, then, you know, they'll end up with a major resource. Um, I think that uh, they'll probably have a 43-101 compliant resource um, uh, maybe around this time next year. Hmm. Um, Interesting, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, the infrastructure is all there for them. They're uh, close to a paved highway. Uh, the, the power grid is nearby. Uh, they've got uh, good access to labor. So uh, the, the, the Guatemala looks very good for them. Um, they also have another property in Mexico, and, and on uh, previous uh, visits to your show, I've talked about Avino Silver and Gold uh, in the state of Durango. Uh, well, uh, Goldex is also... Uh, on that silver trend uh, that we've discussed in the past. And, and their project there is called the El Arco. Um, and this is a situation uh, which is uh, similar to uh, Fresnillo's mine uh, to the west of them, uh, which is uh, veins coming up through the ground uh, to the surface. Um, and, they, and they come up through uh, a volcanic cap. It's called rhyolite. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a geologist, but uh, what I've been able to find out is rhyolite is sort of similar to granite, so it's not uh, normally a, a favorable host rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what Goldex is going to do is drill at an angle um, under uh, the rhyolite cap uh, to pass through uh, where these veins seem to be coming up from mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and see what they find there. 
they're going to do uh, reverse circulation uh, drilling uh, because uh, what what they're really trying to find is just an indication of what's there. Um, and if it looks like uh, uh, there's a good uh, resource base there, then they can follow up with uh, with diamond drilling. Yeah. Well, it certainly looks like, a, you know, it's a, a high-risk, high-reward situation. I see the stock was as high as 24.5 cents uh, within the last year, I believe, uh, so down yeah, to 8.5 well, cents. Around Christmas time, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the market has gotten hit. A lot of these little juniors have gotten hit real hard. Now, can, uh, two questions. I think we almost, we're almost out of time, but the 430,000-ounce resource that the United Nations uh, Development Fund um, Established uh, non forty three one on one was yep. that uh, on surface, Ted? Yes, it, it was. A, uh, it's an inferred uh, resource, and it's uh, close to surface. That's right. Okay, talk to us just a minute about the management. Is this an experienced management team? Yeah, it, it's a very experienced management team, uh, and uh, the the president of the company is uh, is Chuck uh, Ross, uh, and and his background is really uh, finance and. Uh, mergers and acquisitions, but what they have is they have a very strong geological team uh, of about four to six people who share the common characteristic of having found things. Um, you know, there's there's lots of good technical geologists around, but uh, not too many who uh, uh, have participated in major di- uh, discoveries. So well, that, we don't have that... time to talk about them, but if you go to their website, you can see who they are. Very good, Ted. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, thanks, uh, Ted, for sharing your, uh, this story with us. And I uh, want to tell the people, next week we're going to have David McIlvaney as our main guest. Uh, he raises the question, $14 trillion, where does it stop or does it? Uh, in closing, I want to thank uh, the people at Voice America for uh, making this show technically um, viable. They would start, I would start with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Justin Jackman, my engineer, Thanks to each of you for listening and making this the number one show on the Voice America channel, on the Voice America business channel, I should say. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors again for making this show economically viable. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. again for listening to turning hard times into good times with jay taylor please join us again next tuesday at noon pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel now the thing about time is that time is in-